0: Hi, on this episode of How We Interview, I had the pleasure of talking with Kelly Bledsoe. Kelly and I worked together in the past. We've remained friends, and uh, she's one of the best HR tech minds I've ever met. She does a really nice job of balancing client need with, with candidate need. And uh, I love uh, how she shared her thoughts on how technology can enhance candidate experience and how it can also help uh, recruiting teams be more efficient. So with that, enjoy my talk with Kelly Bledsoe. Kelly Bledsoe, my friend, thank you for joining us on the How We Interview podcast today. This is a pleasure. Kelly and I go back probably three, four years now, and as one of the most fantastic people I've ever had the opportunity to work with. Kelly, could you, for the listeners, could you talk about your background? Give us the cliff notes, not even the cliff notes, the full version on all things Kelly.
1: <laughs> sure. So I guess my relationship with like HR technology started in grad school. So I'm one of those lucky people that like went to school to study a field, and then I'm still doing that work. Started as an intern at a quasi-governmental agency in their HRs department, did some stints in some nonprofits, and then when I moved from Chicago to Portland, that's really where my career started to pivot, really focusing on the TA tech space, did some work at Nike, another government employer, and then where we met at an amazing employer, Fisher Investments, and then most recently at Redfin.
0: I would love to talk about, I I think being in in HR tech is is fascinating because you find yourself, like I've worked with a lot of HR tech folks, a lot of fantastic HR tech folks. And there's kind of two flavors or two situations you find yourself in. One is you're driving impactful change. And the other is you're saying no all the time. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about just because you have to wear two hats because like somebody to use a a few good men reference, like we need Kelly on that wall. We want Kelly on that wall. Can you talk about like wearing both those hats? Yeah, so.
1: I think as technology people, I can't speak for everyone, but for the teams that I've directly been on, usually you just want to say yes to everything, right? You want to give people what they want. You're recognizing that they have these pain points. You're like, if only I do this X, Y, and Z configuration of the system, your job will be easier. But- Realizing that you have limited resources as an HR technology team, so you can't say yes to everything, unfortunately. And so there's the dreaded conversation of like, what's the priority, and like, we'll put it in the backlog. And like, it has always been my goal as someone who has to like put things in the backlog to not forget about them. I know that some people are like, you're just gonna put it in the backlog and it's gonna like shrivel up and die. And I'm like, I promise, I'm really gonna try not to have that for you. It might not happen. Tomorrow might not happen next month. It might not even happen this year. But eventually, I really want to get to this because recognizing you have this problem. I think in terms of prioritization, it really comes down to how does it align with strategic objectives, which is obviously why you're going to prioritize something ahead of something else. And then also, what's the ROI on that, on that fix, on that enhancement? If it's going to take you as the HRIS team more time to build it than it will in time saving for that other person, maybe that's not a good thing to prioritize. But for the most part, we can eventually figure it out.
0: Yeah. it's That's my favorite joke because we're going to spend $5,000 implementing this fix to save us 18 cents on the back end. <laughs> I think it's a really good way though, to think about optimizing your system. And in HR tech, you've got two customers. You've got your business partners, which are probably the noisiest customer, and then you've got candidates. And I know one of the things that you and I have in common and we feel deeply about is a candidate experience. Can you talk a little bit about HR tech, specifically like recruiting HR tech and how that done well can impact the candidate experience?
1: Yeah. So I would say in terms of creating a candidate experience, there's been this sort of mindset, this shift in terms of think of it like a customer experience. If someone is online shopping for something, you want to create as little friction as possible to get them to convert. In a customer metaphor, that would be like to get them to buy something and dealing with candidates to get them to convert is actually completing an application. And making these technology enhancements to remove friction from the process is really critical to what we're trying to do in terms of meet hiring goals. So examples of some high-level configuration changes that you can make that are simple but lend to a really good candidate experience. One, maybe don't make people create a username and password immediately upon clicking the apply button. Let's just stop there in terms of candidate drop-off and there are some systems out there, I'm looking at you, Workday and Success Factors, that do both of those things, which is terrible. Um, number two, do you have a way to engage with candidates who don't complete their application? So maybe you've acquired some of their contact information, but they're now incomplete. Can you follow up with them, automatically give them a nudge to complete the application process? And then the third thing is when they convert and finally submit their application, what are you doing to keep them engaged between that application submittal and either ultimately maybe dispositioning that person, but getting them excited about maybe other opportunities that they're interested in, or getting them excited until they get to that first recruiter phone screen.
0: Yeah. And and I think every one of those things is amazing. And common pain points, right Nobody wants to set an account to apply for a job especially if you were never going to interact with that brand again let's say it doesn't work out you don't get the role and then what you get on the back end is the form letter thank you for applying this is now the right. I would love how you interact with brands in your daily life because I, I got an email today this is an aside but it plays that I changed the oil in one of my vehicles six months ago and they're like, you're due to change oil again should we just shift the stuff to you now? I love the fact that in an industry that isn't really known for like touchy-feely customer management systems, the fact they would have enough good sense to re-engage people that have spent money with them in the past. And they know the timing because they saw what the date was in their first order. And it's crazy to me from like an employment standpoint, we don't do that same thing with our candidates. We're constantly pushing and pulling. We're, we're re-engaging candidates, but maybe not even through our own systems like we're doing on LinkedIn or on Deed or through just digital advertising. I'd love to talk a little bit about like the best ways to create lifelong relationships, even with candidates that we've had to say no to. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. Getting back to the earlier point about let's not make people create an account. I think that there is an opportunity for someone who like wants to remain engaged and get those like status updates. So maybe it's after they've they've completed that application, hey, do you want to um, receive updates about the status of your application? Give us a little bit more information and we can do that for you. So I think that's great. In terms of that engagement piece, that's a CRM all day. That's a candidate CRM. And I want to be really clear when I say it's a candidate CRM because I have seen people and heard a CRM is a CRM is a CRM. Salesforce is like the number one client CRM for a reason, because they're really good in terms of engaging and converting sales leads. A candidate CRM is designed specifically to engage and convert candidates. Like you mentioned, if it can't be like the job that they applied for today, maybe it's that job of the future. And the way you do that should really not require a ton of work on your recruiting team. I'd say in terms of the best candidate CRMs that I've seen on the market today, there's a lot of automation built in. You pick maybe the sequence of messages that you wanna send to people, But when someone applies, they go on this journey, and so you're going to send them engaging content. If someone gets this position, but they're qualified for another role, you're gonna put them into a different um, workflow and they'll be on this different journey. Ultimately, the goal is to eventually get that person a job if they're qualified.
0: Yeah, and I think you spoke about ROI a little bit earlier. ROI doesn't have to be money, necessarily. It doesn't even necessarily have to be hires. It could be just effort. And and I think while we would all love to be staffed in such a way that we can have somebody on in charge of engagement, a lot of times the more that you can automate and do it in a very engaging and and transparent way, but still letting candidates know that, hey, we're thinking about you, and uh, maybe these are some of the things that uh, I, I, I think our industry in general is just ripe for disruption. How many times? I've Oh God, I've said this so much. At this place I worked prior, we did it this way. And the problem with that is, is you're not really doing anything new. And so uh, if time has given me any gifts, one of them is just like the, the, the willingness to poke at things that we've all accepted as, as candid. Rejection letters is a great example. Give me 50 rejection letters. They look and sound exactly the same. They have By and large, the same structure, the same topics they hit, the same amount of characters. It'd be awesome if somebody came in with, even if it's AI powered, a way to have a very conversational discussion with somebody about why they didn't get the role, what they may or may not be missing without giving them feedback, and then giving them something to point towards in terms of improvement or future with your organization. I will step off my soapbox. But I am getting to a point. One of, the, one of the things is, and one of the things I've loved working with you on is that you're so open-minded and, and willing to consider the possibilities about HR tech can not only improve the candidate experience, but make the lives of your peers easier on the recruiting side. Any kind of life hacks that you've seen in your last two or three employers about ways that you can not only improve the candidate experience, because it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's not, if we improve the candidate experience, it's going to make my recruiter's lives hell. And, ways that you can improve the experience while also making the team more efficient? um,
1: You should be able to do both. I, I think that there's, it doesn't have to be this adversarial relationship, right? Where if we help candidates, we're going to hurt recruiters. And if we help recruiters, we're going to hurt candidates. So you should certainly be looking for solutions that find the best of both of those solutions, helping both candidates as your external stakeholders and your recruiters as your internal stakeholders. I think the things that do both of those really well, we touched on a little bit in terms of like automation. So automation in like your sequencing campaigns, back to someone who's responsible for engagement. I think that engagement person should be responsible for content creation and coming up with really compelling messages, but don't make them send the messages, put those bad boys on an auto campaign. Another thing is automated interview scheduling. I'm seeing zero downsides uh, to automated interview scheduling, wherein you allow a qualified candidate to self-schedule an interview, and then it just shows up on that recruiter's calendar. There is certainly like a time a place for those, we'll call them like coordinator roles in terms of creating that really white club experience, but scheduling just an initial recruiter interview, I think that we've reached the point where people are comfortable having virtual meetings or even just like self-scheduling a meeting in person. You can get a technology to do that. Ideally, you'd get a technology that has a calendar and interview scheduling integrated into it, as opposed to having a third-party scheduling tool. But some don't, in which case, that is why you have your good times of the world and your paradoxes of the world, or your rooster. So you do have those third-party scheduling tools. Um, Trying to think of things uh, that make the candidate experience better and the recruiter experience better. Oh, offer letters. So the ability to pull in different pieces of relevant information. like a mail merge in a Word document, the offer letters just pull in all the relevant information. So a recruiter isn't manually sitting there and typing and manipulating. And then the ability for that offer letter to be sent and then signed via DocuSign, a, b- a big win for candidates as well as big fin, a big win for recruiters.
0: Yeah, I, I think there, there's a real fine line between providing a white glove experience. And then making yourself so woefully inefficient that you stress the team out, and it's not like an us versus them thing. To your point, I think both sides can win. You can provide this fantastic service while also making your recruiting teams' lives much easier. Offer letter was you you said it in my head. I'm like I was just thinking that. I think new hire paperwork is something that can be fully automated. Even the job posting process. I've worked for organizations that have a, a Word doc and, and every time it's they're they're revisiting this Word doc and they're rewriting this job description and it goes through five rounds of approval. Let's just have job families where we can pull it and they're all legally approved and nobody reads them anyway. Come on, let's just get them out there and make everybody's lives easier. But I think all those are wonderful examples of how you can win both ways. And that's really what it's all about.
2: This episode of How We Interview is brought to you by Reemby. You understand the importance of maximizing your team's efficiency. Instead of having your recruiters or coordinators spend time with expense reports to reimburse candidates for interview expenses, automate the process with ReMB. ReMB streamlines the reimbursement process, ensuring your candidates receive their reimbursement quickly and accurately. Your team can focus on other essential aspects of the hiring process by eliminating reimbursement tasks from their workload. Automating reimbursements is a significant improvement to the candidate experience, no more dealing with spreadsheets, attaching receipts to emails, or waiting weeks to receive the payout. With Rienbi, the reimbursement payout to your candidates is sent the same day expenses are approved. To learn more about how Reembi can help your team, visit reembi.com. That's Reembi, R-E-I-M-B-I.com.
0: Shifting gears a little bit, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like in your time and in all of these different industries you've worked in, like companies that really handle uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, how does that play with technology? Knowing that technology is not like a one size fits all approach, but something that can absolutely enhance and help um, an organization's efforts in those areas. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. So I think prior discussions we've had where an employer can be inauthentic around their DI efforts. And I think that's really apparent to employees and probably really apparent to candidates too, where it feels like this is just happening because it's fuzzy to talk about B&I, and it's, it's in the zeitgeist to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion program, but if it's not authentic and genuine, people are going to see right through that. I think that having diversity, equity, inclusion programs, specifically for ERGs, having that resource for, um, for, for employees to belong to once they're part of a company is critical, and when done really well, it becomes a safe space where you can meet other people perhaps around the company you wouldn't have otherwise interacted with because they're like outside of your sphere influencing your job. Um, In terms of leveraging technology to help with that, specifically from like a talent acquisition approach, um, we can talk about top of funnel attraction in terms of attracting more diverse candidates. And then I think from a technology perspective, it's really critical to see how those candidates are converting through your funnel. So it's not just like your initial talent attraction efforts, And then they're going through the interviewing process and maybe they're ultimately hired, but then do you have programs in place from your internal talent team? Now we're beyond recruiting to identify diverse benches of talent and using succession planning to figure out, do we have a diverse slate of leaders for the future of our organization? And that's a lot of that talent acquisition tools, and that's also like internal talent mobility,
0: career passing technology,
1: both helpful and leveraged by HR technology.
0: To your point too, you can't use technology as a band-aid for an organization's flawed values or lack of engagement in any area, specifically the DEI&B. I think that's really well said. It's interesting through the last five years in town acquisition have been bananas. And so we've seen your partners on the vendor side. So those folks that you're working with to onboard your organization to make your lives easier. We've seen all this massive expansion post COVID and now we're seeing a contraction because people aren't spending money on systems and processes. And then what's going to follow that will probably be another huge explosion. I'd love to hear your thoughts, putting our tinfoil hats on. The next three to five years, and we could even look back a bit, because I think AI is a really interesting example. Five years ago, everybody thought AI was just around the corner, and it just never happened. <laughs> and now it's all anybody wants to talk about. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on like where you see the HR tech space going in the next three to five years.
1: Yeah, so I think AI has really arrived in terms of supporting uh, talent acquisition technology. Um, a couple of really tangible examples that I've seen so far um, are in terms of recommending and like scoring candidates in your system. So it's beyond just saying the recruiter's preference. It's how did you write this job description and really matching a person based on their skills, trying to eliminate like the bias from that evaluation recognizing that AI data data sets are also biased. It's going to be imperfect no matter what you do. I think another application where it's seen is generative AI in terms of those uh, engagement messages that we were talking about and those sequences. Instead of a recruiter trying to spend five to 20 minutes crafting like the perfectly engaging email message or in-mail message you can now have your candidate crm just write one for you and then make tweaks and then off you go and because you have a way to measure success of those click open reply rates can you just replicate that for other candidates which is great and makes a recruiter's time much more efficient What's another place where I've seen it? Um, Back to that skills matching from an internal mobility standpoint, um, there's a really neat company that is really about zero waste of internal talent. The idea of since filling roles is really just a matter of is, do you have a role? What are the skills and experience required? And do you have somebody at your company that already does that, but maybe they didn't know that role exists? Matching, those people to those roles inside your company. Maybe if you've overhired, you can redeploy folks instead of just laying them off.
0: Yeah, it's we've onboarded systems before that kind of match opportunity with candidates' resumes. If we were posting a job before we click post, if we did a quick check and said, you've got these four people internally that match this role perfectly, I don't know. If nothing else, maybe we should have a chat. And and I think it is, I've worked for massive organizations that don't have an internal talent management system. Their talent management system is going to LinkedIn to search who at your company has those skills. And that's that sounds like a very shocking thing. I think it's really common.
1: That's not surprising. These systems are very powerful and they're wonderful. But getting back to that question around ROI, they're very expensive. And organizations need a way to figure out how to best invest those, those dollars for their recruiting tech or their HR tech. I'd say one of the things that I've been working on, at least in the recruitment space, is to help inform those decisions is a proof of concept for the cost per applicant and the cost per hire, as well as like how your various sources are converting just to help better influence that conversation. And I didn't realize that was like this visionary thing. I just assumed that people were already doing it. Nope, so many organizations to your point where it's, yeah, we're just gonna figure out who has these skills by looking at our own employees on LinkedIn Very many organizations, I think, have struggled with the idea of how do we quantify how much it costs to hire someone?
0: Yeah, it's you've heard me say this on the job before is like we need to show them where it hurts. And typically where it hurts is is, is dollars. So what's the cost (laughs) of an empty seat? What's the cost of production of, of roles that are left open? So, if somebody's got three good candidates and can you go get me 10 more? And that takes 90 days. How much does that costs on the back end? I know it's a sunk cost, but it's still a cost. And is the difference between the three candidates you have now, the bird in the hand, worth going back out and trying to beat in the bushes for more? It rarely is. And I think doing it in a way that's not punitive but showing people that there is an expense, hidden or not, to these decisions that are made. I I think that's really well said. Not related to your role, but you get pulled into these discussions all the time. I would love to talk about data as a means of troubleshooting a candidate experience or an interview process, right? You've got a hiring manager that wants nine rounds of interviews. I would love to hear your thoughts on on how you've used data in the past to fine-tune your interview processes.
1: We have roles at Redfin that have visa sponsorship, will sponsor some rules for, for visa sponsorship, but like, the candidate needs to provide information about that um, because it's like a very lengthy process with our immigration partners. So we just like to know if someone is going to be moving on to the interview round. Oh, they said that they, you know, require sponsorship. Let's get the let's get the ball rolling. And I remember there was a stakeholder in recruiting. Okay, so you're telling me that we can't schedule them for an interview before we before they provide this information. I was like that is the process. But why? I said, okay. I went back and I checked all of the data. And what it came out to is of the applicants that had applied for roles across the company over the past, I think at that point, it was either a six or a 12-month look back, 1.5% said they needed sponsorship. And I said, Yes, we are not going to make this process messy for 1.5% of applicants. You will be okay. So I think in terms of letting data tell the story for you is really powerful because you can say something to someone, but until the numbers, until they see the numbers in front of them, they might not believe you, not because they don't want to believe you, but because they are convinced that what they're trying to do is is right for their team or right for the company. But I think it's also presenting data and telling a story with it. It would have been one thing for me, here you go, but really saying, we looked at the data over the past six to 12 months and like of the hundred thousand people that applied only like 1500 people required
2: sponsorship. And then
1: a very, a smaller subset of that made it to the interview round. So let's not disrupt everything for this very small set of people. It goes back to the very beginning when you were talking about how do you prioritize work is this going to take more time to fix, build, execute, et cetera, than the time saved? And what this person was asking for was like a very messy coordination
0: process and, and a digital expense for very small subset people. Yeah. Can't do it, so sorry. Yeah. And I, I think that's that you get pulled in a lot of directions, right? And and at the end of the day, it, it comes down to it, is is the impact. It, it's really easy to get sucked into the law of small numbers, right? Somebody said or I heard this, or this feels off, but before you just blow up the entire process, which by and large has been pressure tested, you've run hundreds, if not millions, of candidates through it for what is a very small percentage of the population, or at least giving them an, an, a, a way to get through the process another way without disrupting the other 98.5% of the group.
1: I, mean, I think another example of investment in, in, in tech, right? Recruiters are getting pressure from their business partners to say, we need to fill this role and you need this tool, or you need to figure it out. And as you are well aware, some recruiting tools are very expensive, mm-hmm. In terms of sourcing people and we were able to finagle like a three-month trial for this for the sourcing tool and the the recruiter was screaming like i need this tool they barely used it it converted no applicants and it produced no hires over the three-month period so it was really easy to say i appreciate that you want this thing but utilization doesn't speak to the fact that you're getting a lot of benefit from it and it's not giving us a good roi in terms of the money we spent to get it versus the applicants and the hires, so no. And so I think that as companies go through this belt-tightening exercise and we talk about like where the tech is going, I think companies are recognizing they do need to, in most companies, I think you and I both know of some companies that'll just throw people at like technology problems, but that's fine. They're going to recognize that they need technology. They can't just hire people. Um, But being really precise in terms of measuring that ROI, do you measure that in time saved and like productivity gains, or do you measure that in terms of the number from a recruiting perspective, like how many hires it will produce? It could be either, it could be other metrics, but you're going to need to figure out a way to quantify that investment if you're asking executives to write checks for hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars over a three and five year period.
0: Yeah, it it doesn't matter what it is, just measure something. (laughs) <laughs> just
1: anything you can't manage what you don't measure so
0: yeah it's it's not this is not the time for gut instinct that does not play when it comes to HR tech for sure la- last question and this has been delightful so thank you but um, most of the people or a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast have an HR tech or a recruiting tech partner what's one piece of advice you can give them and like how to best deal care for nurture the relationship with their recruiting tech partner
1: aww <laughs> um. I don't think it's any different than like fostering a relationship um, with anybody else at work, which is really just lead with kindness. Nobody is trying to make anybody else's job difficult. It's that we spend eight plus hours a day with folks. So the last thing you want for it to be is very difficult. I think in terms of taking ideas to your like HR technology partners, maybe put a little bit of thought in terms of like how you think this is going to benefit you or benefit the broader team. No, it doesn't don't we don't from an HR technology perspective and I think regular technology professionals as well, we don't need you to solution the problem, right? That's our job. But have an idea of what what you're trying to solve and the benefit that it'll provide. I think just like those two pieces of information will really help as opposed to, I'm gonna do this thing, you figure it out just with no information. We're just we're just nerds like everybody else in IT. Our Sort of area of focus, though, just happens to be people.
0: So. I think that's awesome. I will say earlier in my career, I was very hard charging. And, and I don't think that's terribly unique. But I think you find yourself in situations where you're like, you're the with me or against me. And if you're in my way of something getting done that I want to have done, that can create friction. And if if I've worked with people in HR technology that are listening to this, and, yeah, you are absolutely that person. I, I apologize. I apologize so much. But one of the things about meeting you initially, I was like, oh, like we're all in this together. And, and I think that is how you win in this space. Everybody's very clear about the shared vision, the shared goals, and everybody at the risk of sounding like my father stays on the same team. And I, I think that's something that you're just masterful at. So thank you. Oh, you just, just such a pleasure with that are people listening? oh my god kelly's amazing i want to connect with her what's the best way to connect with you
1: oh yes yeah. please find me on linkedin
0: <laughs> awesome awesome kelly bledzo you are a pleasure my friend thank you so much for your time and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you soon thanks aaron
2: thanks for listening to this episode of the how we interview podcast brought to you by Riambi. Head to our website at howweinterview.com to find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Leaving us a rating and review also helps us reach more listeners interested in learning from other talent acquisition professionals.